Good afternoon or good evening, uh, everybody out there in the world. Uh, today we're going to have a very nice uh, uh, panel discussion on uh, on the COVID nineteen vaccination uh, rollout, uh, particularly across the country and more specifically in low to mid income countries. Uh, specifically, we're gonna we're gonna be uh, joined by three uh, world leaders uh, from Peru, South Africa as well as India, and we'll be asking them some questions as we get along. I'd like everybody to start by introducing themselves. So um, let's start with Dr. Feldman. Tell us where you're from and give us a little background about yourself. Yeah, hi, uh, so I'm Charles Feldman. I'm based in Johannesburg, South Africa. I um, am aff affiliated to the University of Witwatersrand, so Wits University as it's commonly known. Uh, through South Africa and the world. I trained as a pulmonologist and critical care specialist, but in fact wandered into infectious diseases. My research relates to respiratory infections, uh, particularly pneumococcal infections, includes TB, and obviously now COVID pneumonia. I have a specific interest in adult vaccination in general, for general conditions and obviously uh, now the COVID uh, vaccination. All right, excellent. Thank you for that. And I'm sure we're gonna have a lot of good questions uh, directed towards that uh, area specialty. Let's uh, turn over to Peru. How's the weather out there? And tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> Summertime. Uh, All right, well, we all year long. But uh, beaches are for, forbidden, uh, we, we cannot use them. So anyway, I'm Claudio Lanata. I'm a physician uh, trained in Peru, but I did most of my postgrad training in the US, internal medicine and then infectious diseases. Uh, in that, I work with Mike Levine in the Center for Vaccine Development that um, changed my life, uh, learning how to do vaccine trials. And then I got a, mas a master at Hopkins uh, on epidemiology, returned in Peru and I'm working in um, it's called Nutrition Research Institute. It's a Peruvian non-profit NGO that uh, rare because we live 100% of soft money. Um, there's not a single coin secure. So we compete by grants all over the world to keep us going. We have more now than 50 years of activity. It's nutrition, but my contribution to the center has been preventing diseases. So I have been doing vaccine trials from few hundreds to 92,000 people um, since the 80s, uh, non-stop until now. So my area of expertise is vaccine trials. I'm a member of several committees at WHO. One is the um, PDVAC, which is the uh, Product Development Advisory Working Group that we uh, review the status of vaccines that the world has. And in that committee, WHO, we signal which are the neglected one uh, that should be promoted. And the second relevant committee that I remember is the ex vaccine effectiveness and impact uh, working group for COVID vaccines. So we meet weekly to discuss how we can advise countries how to evaluate the impact or the effectiveness of uh, vaccines once they are rolling, um, which I think is a crucial component. So I'm very now um, running uh, into vaccines. I'm currently uh, doing two vaccine trials in Peru, one phase two finishing, and we hope to start tomorrow a phase three vaccine trial, a large one, uh, to measure the efficacy of the uh, one of the RNA vaccines. 
So happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Wow, very impressive. That's quite the resume. And I'm sure we're going to have uh, some in-depth questions regarding uh, the molecular physiology of, uh, of uh, vaccines, specifically to mRNA vaccines. So uh, glad to have you on this panel. And uh, we're going to tap into your expertise in just one second. And then um, finally, let's, uh, let's hear from you. Uh, tell us where you're from and uh, what your area of specialty is. Hi, I'm uh, Sai Haranath. I'm a pulmonary and critical care specialist. I work in uh, Apollo Hospital, the large uh, national hospital system in Hyderabad, India. And uh, I train in the U.S., in India, and then in the U.S. And I moved back to India, in fact, to the day a decade ago. And uh, I practice uh, pulmonology and critical care. I also do remote intensive care and uh, monitor patients all over India as well as the U.S. And uh, part of my reason to be on this panel is that I'm the chair of the executive committee of the uh, chair of Council of Global Governors for CHEST, and I'm on the board for CHEST. And part of the interest we have is to reach out to CHEST members around the world uh, through you know, measures like webinars like these. And I'm a frontline worker, and I'm exposed to COVID, and I'm also a recipient of the vaccine. So I can use some firsthand uh, experience of what's happening in India in terms of the vaccine rollout. And uh, I've worked in the U.S. and in India, so I'm fairly familiar with the environment in both countries. And there's a lot of, uh, as uh, John, you were mentioning before we started, several challenges to the vaccine rollout. Uh, but in addition, there's a lot of, uh, what I would say, light on the horizon in terms of how we can get out of this pandemic using the vaccine. That's awesome. Thank you for that. And then as I uh, started off the discussion, my name is John Agapian. By training, I'm a uh, trauma surgeon in Southern California um, at a level one ACS verified trauma center. Uh, but specifically, I'm part of the uh, uh, disaster and global network that CHEST has, uh, uh, and it's contributed to a lot of uh, world pandemics, including um, uh, the crisis we had in New Orleans. And uh, I'd like to uh, thank uh, Jim Geiling for the opportunity to help moderate the session and uh, would like to give a shout out to any CHEST member out there who might be interested in joining us on this uh, network that um, helps with uh, world problems such as uh, this global pandemic that we're dealing with today. For, uh, for several days, I've been thinking about uh, what we can uh, discuss today. And uh, I just happened to see uh, this morning's paper uh, on chest physician, and here you can see Dr. Fauci getting his vaccine. And um, as a, a frontline worker myself, we're pretty much guaranteed to get the vaccine. My biggest dilemma was, do I wait for the Moderna vaccine? Do I just go ahead and do the Pfizer vaccine? Uh, should I get my shot before I take an overnight call? Um, just in case I have some side effects or do I wait till the next day and take it the next day instead? Uh, but looking back, those are all pretty superficial uh, uh, dilemmas that I had to face with. Obviously, in, um, in, uh, in other countries, lower socioeconomic countries, you know, they have bigger, bigger dilemmas. One big dilemma would be... Um, do they have the refrigeration to be able to accommodate um, like the first vaccine that rolled out by Pfizer? Uh, it required very specific temperature um, settings. Um, a lot of institutions needed to invest in special refrigerators. So I'd like to ask Dr. Feldman, um, did you guys have 
that as a uh, problem or did you guys just say let's just wait for the uh, for the other vaccines that are easier to have to store and distribute yeah so it's a very important question so um it was addressed by one of the co-chairs of the Medical Advisory Council of the government in South Africa. What attributes of a vaccine would be suitable for South Africa? So clearly vaccines need to be safe and effective. Costs are also an issue because the cost of the different vaccines in, in do US dollar terms is very different. Ease of storage and administration, obviously storage is the cold chain effects and so on. And then the question of one or two doses, obviously easily uh, better for one dose. But to that, we could add <clears throat> some of the other issues you've mentioned. Um, you know, should we wait for an additional thing? But of course, what about the variants? And in South Africa, We've got the variant, the uh, 501YV2. Uh, and the question is whether the vaccines that are currently available are effective against the vaccine. So your simple, the, 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 answer to you, the simple answer to your question, what about cold storage? That is a problem in South Africa. Most of the vaccines come from out of South Africa and have got to ship, be shipped in by aeroplane or whatever into South Africa, and cold storage is potentially a problem. And obviously, for example, I think it's the Pfizer vaccine where one needs uh, a you know, very cold chain. It could potentially be a problem as opposed to those that need refrigeration or those that could be kept almost at room temperature. So that certainly is an issue. Uh, you may or may not know, and I don't know if you want me to go further on this, we had the, uh, the Oxford uh, AstraZeneca vaccine lined up as the first vaccine for South Africa. Um, but the recent data that came out this week from Shabir Mahdi, which I know uh, Professor Lanata mentioned, he knows him, uh, suggests that the AstraZeneca vaccine uh, the, the Oxford uh, vaccine is not that not really effective against the South African uh, South African variant. So all those things need to be taken into account, um, all of those issues. But it would be preferable if we had a vaccine that was obviously, besides being safe and effective, uh, and was cheap, that it uh, didn't have the need for extreme cold storage uh, um, requirements, uh, preferably a single dose, and importantly, that it worked against our variant. All right, very nice. How about in Peru? Did you guys experience any, uh, any issues with that? Of course, I, I would agree fully with um, uh, Dr. Feldman's description of how the government uh, approached the issue of which vaccine, but I would like to add a, a, another component, which is which vaccine could you get to? Uh, one thing is I would like to, but the other question is, could I get it? And I think we are facing a major issue of supplies and, uh, and, and the capacity of not providing the needed number of doses that a country may need. 
and that's a relevant issue because the urgency to vaccinate is is amazing. And I think there's a, if you haven't um, prepaid in advance a certain number of purchases, uh, you are stuck because now you are dealing with uh, um, what capacity of production um, the vaccine makers will have. The COVAX vaccine initiative of WHO, for instance, they are estimating if they are going to comply with the promises of delivering vaccines to all these lower and middle income countries, they will need like 900 Boeing uh, 747 full of vaccines to deliver vaccines, 900. And the, 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 nobody has a plant to produce vials of, you know, vaccine vials waiting to deliver trillions of vaccine vials. Don't have enough rubber to cover these things. So the logistics of producing enough vaccine and then distributing is, I think, a bottleneck. So the you have seen the economist um, estimates that countries uh, that are middle and lower income may not get to a vaccine until next year um, in order to really reach the level of coverage that will mean uh, bringing the, the disease down. So Peru right now, the only vaccine that we have been able to get has been a low amount of doses from Sinopharm, uh, which is an inactivated vaccine from China. Uh, that's the only one that is, it just started three days ago, vaccinating uh, frontline uh, medical staff. Um, so it is an issue. Now, regarding the Pfizer, um, we were hoping to get it. We haven't yet uh, received it. Um, we don't know if we will get it uh, at least some doses uh, during this year. And the government has already purchased um, major um, storage in minus 60 centigrade to be placed in central uh, parts of different parts of the country. But uh, the good thing is that I think Pfizer and others will follow what um, the CureVac vaccine, which is another RNA vaccine made of Germany, that has produced data that is stable in a refrigerator, so two to five. And they have produced data that the vaccine is stable at least 24 hours at 35 centigrade. That means that you can take your vaccine in a little cooler if you want and go to the middle of the jungle and vaccinate and then come back. Um, that I think is going to be the future for the RNA vaccines. So I think the, the, the manufacturers will bring these technologies into advance. Uh, it hasn't yet been done because the rush to get something out to the public, but I don't think it's feasible a vaccine that requires minus 60 uh, to be a liable vaccine. So I'm, I'm pretty, pretty sure uh, Pfizer will improve uh, the stability of that vaccine. So the one dose, two dose, my feeling is that, um, yeah, we can dream of, of one dose, makes a, a whole of a difference. But looking on the Johnson & Johnson um, uh, vaccine trial, um, it's not, I mean, they say it is better than nothing, but it's far away from what the vaccine efficacy and effectiveness is. You see uh, Israel data uh, on the RNA vaccine. So I think the the RNA vaccine has put the standards so high that um, the others are competing, trying to get there. Uh, I have to admit that I was quite surprised to see the, the Russian vaccine. I, I wouldn't have predicted uh, their data, even though uh, we still need to see the full data published. No, But at least the paper that they have put together is an interesting one. I don't know, again, virology, what makes you better by switching these two adenovirus uh, 
in the same uh, human being. Because when you use the same adenovirus uh, vector, like the AstraZeneca, you don't get that far. So interesting things that we are, we are I, I think, learning on vaccines. And um, I think most countries in the middle-income uh, region may cope with the cold chain. Um, um, we have a network for refrigerator, and we had also a network for minus 20 for the polio. Um, and so that, that network could be used to vaccines that at least require minus 20. I don't think a minus 60 will go too far. All right, very nice. There's actually a, a follow-up question that I'd like to ask you as the uh, vaccinologist, but uh, let me give Dr. Hereneth a, a chance to answer, uh, answer this round of questions and I'll come back to you with the other one. Uh, tell me how you guys, um, what, uh, what issues maybe, uh, maybe uh, experiencing in India? Sure. So, I mean, as you know, India's population is huge. Uh, the, it's over 1.2 billion. But interestingly, uh, only 6% or so of those are over 60, 65 years of age. That does translate into over 70 million, you know, 35, 70 million people. So it's a large number. But at the same time, many young people have had COVID and had no symptoms. So there is some element of vaccine hesitancy, but th there's generally the government has done an amazing job at really handling the COVID crisis in terms of information and actually the logistics. So along with uh, the treatment aspect, uh, you know, their website is regularly updated. I was just checking last night and uh, they've given out 7 million doses already of the uh, COVID vaccines. And 7 million is a pretty big number. It's all to healthcare workers. And the next round, we're hoping, will start for vulnerable populations. Now, India is kind of good in that way in the sense that they've been doing vaccines for a long time, over 40 years now. They've been doing all kinds of vaccines. So there's a pretty good network and an infrastructure to actually get vaccines out there. It's like the elections. You know, you, you kind of go everywhere and they have a vaccine roadway, pathway uh, everywhere. In fact, I was looking up and it, apparently we have like 27,000 cold storage places. And so there's a network uh, every year, about 55 million people actually get vaccinated already. So there is some history in terms of handling both the vaccination, monitoring for adverse effects, and in fact, even tracking uh, what, who's vaccinated, who isn't. And the, uh, the government-run app, uh, which has been rolled out, is actually able to track who got the vaccine, who didn't, in a bunch of detail. So the, the, uh, the, our hospital, for example, Apollo Hospitals, we, we are a center where the government comes in and does the vaccination for people. And the reason it's helpful is they've actually set up a very nice protocol where people come in, sit for 30 minutes after the vaccination to kind of keep an eye and make sure there's no side effects. And in fact, they've rolled out these allergy kits to all these centers where it's not a, may not really be a hospital even, but they have the emergency drugs to handle any kind of a uh, reaction that might happen. So that way it's been pretty impressive looking at it. But the scale, of course, is pretty big. The scale is very huge in terms of rolling it out to everybody. And many people uh, are kind of asking, you know, I already got COVID, so why should I get vaccinated? Mm -hmm. There's also surveys, zero prevalence surveys coming out showing that there's 50% plus in some regions where people have had the virus. And I think trying to explain to people that, uh, you know what, you had the virus, but you, your immunity is going to wane down. 
But proving it is not easy. You need the specialized tests and, you know, the T-cell immunity can't even measure very easily. So, so it's kind of hard to convince people sometimes. But in general, uh, the rollout of the vaccine has been good. And I'm sure you know this, but over 60% of the world's vaccines are made in India. So, so there is some benefit to being close to India in terms of getting the vaccine. So, so, so there's definitely been advantages of uh, living in this country right now because more people are, have access to the vaccine than many other places. And I think you've seen the news about uh, India you know, exporting the vaccines. And there was a talk yesterday with the Canadian prime minister where uh, they're talking about getting vaccines to Canada. So, so I think, uh, fortunately, in this area, they've done pretty well. Very nice. Uh, and it's, it's nice to, uh, to have access to the vaccine, which brings up another uh, um, issue that uh, we've been experiencing in the States. I know we've had uh, different rollout uh, uh, schedules. Initially, we started with the frontline workers uh, as phase one, and then, um, you know, we're going to have phase one B and, uh, and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, Dr. Lonato was mentioning the, uh, the vaccine availability being a limiting factor. But here in the States, I think there's a different uh, element, and that's actually the distribution, because I think we have more vaccines that are being delivered to facilities than, uh, than can be delivered. And that brings up uh, the question, should uh, a vaccine go to waste if you don't have like the people in that category available? Or is it okay to give it to, to somebody who's probably not in that category uh, so it doesn't go to waste? And I think there have been uh, ethical and legal issues that have been um, uh, coming up as a result of that. So that's one consideration. Um, is that something that uh, you see in South Africa, Dr. Feldman, where you have like more vaccine than uh, ability or capacity to distribute, or you don't have the people who are lined up for it? Um, ready to get it. And then, you know, you have a very small window of opportunity once you thaw the vaccine out when it has to go into somebody's arm. What do you do in a case like that? I see that you're on mute. So um, uh, let us know how it is in South Africa. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a very important question. So no, we don't have an excess of vaccines uh, which um, need to be distributed. So our first vaccine arrival, which came from India, was the uh, um, Oxford uh, AstraZeneca vaccine made in India, which came through uh, to us. And that came through, I think, the beginning of last week. Uh, but the results of the studies, the limited smaller study in South Africa, suggested that the AstraZeneca vaccine was not that effective against our mutant. So these were relatively young individuals with no comorbid illnesses, really, uh, to a large extent. Uh, the point prevalence estimate of efficacy was around 10% or so on. And so although that vaccine was meant to be rolled out to frontline healthcare workers, uh, yesterday, on Wednesday, in fact, that was put on hold because of its limited efficacy. So um, we are trying to wait um, for the 
other vaccines which are on the way, things like J&J vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine and so on. So the J&J vaccine appears to be the next one that will arrive. And we hear that it may arrive next week. And then that will be distributed. So no, we kind of were a little bit behind in the race to get vaccines. A lot of the developed world paid for vaccines upfront, even though the vaccines had not been studied yet, uh, paid for it, assisted obviously in the development of the vaccines. Um, and obviously if the vaccines were not gonna be affected, effective, that money would have still um, had, had to go out. And with limited resources, South Africa was a little behind in doing that kind of thing. So until, um, unless there were uh, discussions behind the scenes, which we were not aware of, and there was a lobby group from scientists and so on in South Africa, the government appeared to step up its procurement of vaccines. As I say, it may have been ongoing behind the scenes. So no, we don't have those issues. Uh, I think distribution in the country is not going to necessarily be a problem because they have recruited uh, various uh, parts, private part, uh, public partnerships. There are very big uh, pharmacy groups that have uh, distribution points around the country. There are um, a lot of um, medical uh, medical uh, insurance companies. In South Africa, we call them um, medical aid companies. Uh, I think you call them medical insurance companies that have a, a wide distribution around the country. So I think distribution is not gonna be a problem. The major issue at the moment is procuring enough vaccines now that we have put the Oxford AstraZeneca on hold, enough vaccines to at least start with frontline healthcare workers. There are lots of public and private hospitals that can cope with it. We have a big HIV rollout program, the biggest in the world that copes with this kind of distribution. So I think we have the facilities to distribute the vaccine. I think, I think our issues are more getting the vaccines in. All right, very nice. Well, I promised Dr. Uh, Lenata a question that's been uh, asked of me many times. I'm not a vaccinologist, but I do have a background in molecular genetics. And unlike most other vaccines, this is a unique vaccine in that instead of injecting a uh, inert protein into your body for the body to develop uh, antibodies against, uh, this vaccine instead introduces the, the molecular genetic uh, signal, the mRNA, um, to actually hijack your cell and direct it to synthesize the very proteins that you're trying to avoid uh, getting infected with. And in doing so, then your body can uh, recognize that as foreign body, uh, develop the appropriate antibodies towards that, 
and uh, life goes on happily and ever after. My question, though, is, um, you know, the little I do remember from my molecular genetic background is that all genes have stop codons. And are we, in fact, introducing like a stop codon for this mRNA to then uh, stop synthesizing this protein? Because without that, uh, in theory, your body can continue to uh, replicate this uh, this, uh, this uh, spike protein. And just like tumor cells with uncontrolled growth, what's to say that there's going to be an end to the um, synthesis of this protein that the MRI has now hijacked your cells to continue making? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Before I answer that question, uh, I would like to answer the previous one about distribution. And I want to show you, Peru has this card. Uh, this is your national ID card that you get when you are born. This card with a number is your medical record number. And it now it's so sophisticated that it has a chip that uh, identifies who you are exactly throughout the system to cash a check, to open a bank account, to do anything in the country, you need this card. So what are they doing for immunization? Use, they have a barcode in this card. So you sweep the barcode, you sweep the barcode of the vaccine vial, and you know who is who, who gets first dose, who gets second dose, what dose they got at the first dose, what dose they will get at the second dose. So uh, we are very now uh, equipped to answer the question, who will get vaccinated? Who is not being vaccinated? And then we send squad teams to get them because we know where they are uh, through this system. Um, so our immunization coverage is 98% even in the jungle. Uh, and we have a superb team. I have been promoting um, vaccine uh, campaigns for for instance, hepatitis B, we did it, the only country in the world. We vaccinate every Peruvian under 20 with hepatitis B vaccine once in a month in order to advance the benefit of preventing cancer uh, of liver. So uh, I think we are very well equipped in many, I think Latin America as a whole uh, to deal with this issue of um, logistics and vaccines getting to the people who really need it. So more is the issue that Dr. Feldman just mentioned. Uh, do we have enough vaccine? Uh, when is that vaccine arriving? Because once, like we just got it three days ago, the Sinopharm, and we have already delivered like uh, around 40,000 vaccines um, in three days. So it's, it's going to move very fast and it's going to cover very nice. Now, back to your question. Uh, that is always the anti-vaccine groups, no? That you're going to... Uh, uh, there has been issues about making you sterile, uh, you're going to become infertile, you're going to uh, become a person that are being managed by Bill Gates because there will be a chip that will control your, your everything, population. Oh, it's amazing. In my one of my talks, I have a slide made in 1803, the 1800-03 year. And in the battle says, anti-vaccine society. And what is the drawing? Is the introduction of the smallpox vaccine. And the people were scared to death. 
that they will have a piece of cow in the nose or in the tongue or in the whatever. So we haven't changed, isn't it? I mean, from 1800 till today, you have Wikipedia, you can read anything, but you still have theories. And so in, I have friends in the mental health, I said, you need to study that thing. I mean, why today with the state of art, people are convinced that these issues are, are real issues or that the land is flat. I mean, how could you say that the land is flat today? So something has to do with the mental health of those paranoid conditions. And I think that's life in a big city. We need to fight with that. We have had anti-vaccine groups inhibiting some vaccines more than others with the mercury. Remember the mercury issue on, uh, on vaccines? That was a... a a difficult time and, and we face it and we, we went ahead. Of. So we are prepared to deal with the anti-vaccine movement. One of which is the question you just posed. Is that RNA going to stick with me forever? So two answers of that question. Um, number one, there has been already studies done on the RNA vaccines that in 24 hours to 48 hours, most of that RNA disappears. Uh, it doesn't stay in your cells. And they have done molecular studies to try to locate traces of the vaccine and this is gone. So your body produces the spikes. Um, it's a beautiful picture how many spikes are produced in the surface of your skin. You see a transient lymphopenia, it's fantastic. I mean, I have measured in my studies, 24 hours after your lymphocyte counts goes down. It's not because they are destroyed, they are sequestrated in the injection site. So you have a huge uh, stimulation of your cellular immune system, which is amazing for a vaccine. And it's only the RNAs that are doing this. And the other is this nanoparticle. I'm so thrilled to learn and learn about the delivery mechanisms of nanoparticles. Uh, it's not the topic, but uh, I just want to say, because I love this concept, I was given an abstract of a, a news paper that I couldn't review because it's not my field. But now they are delivering nanoparticles to bacteria. And in that nanoparticle that everybody looks like being addicted to fat, you know, uh, the cells, the human cells, the bacteria. So they take that particle and then you can put anything in there. And they are doing that for bacteria. So when the nanoparticle opens, you have an enzyme that destroys the cell wall of the bacteria. And they are now producing sterilizing mechanisms for Staphylococcus albus in the skin. You just put that like that and then clean your surface of any bacteria. So I, I can see now a movement of these nanoparticles moving into many areas of delivering things uh, like antibiotics that we are fighting and fighting and maybe a whole new way. So the RNA vaccine is using that technology. And most of the reactions that you describe is the nanoparticle. Uh, I'm convinced that it has something to do with the brain fat because it's, it's really amazing the amount of headaches and myalgias and, you know, and it's, it's a nanoparticle. I'm sure it's not the RNA. Uh, and you need to have it in order to mount this immune response. So, but 24 hours or 48 hours, they're gone. And you just give them, uh, you know, acetaminophen or, or a minor drug and they disappear. So that to me is that the, the agent has been gone and you are just left with your immune response. So I, I haven't seen any signals of, of uh, danger or uh, anything that uh, goes along this 
worrisome question that we are manipulating with us. Finally, viruses are very promiscuous, no? I mean, they enter your body without permission and do crazy stuff in your body without you knowing. So it's happening naturally with most viruses that impact our body. This good thing about the RNA that stays in your cytoplasma and disappears very quickly. Oh, that's great to know. And that would probably explain why we need uh, a booster shot within usually about 28 days or 20 days, depending on um, which company you're going with. One quick question though, um, if your body is uh, synthesizing this protein, why will your immune system recognize it as foreign and develop antibodies towards that? And is there any danger of developing autoimmunity as a result of uh, developing antibodies against proteins that your cells are actually producing? That's a good question. Um, I know right now there's a current vaccine trial in the U.S. on people with lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, and it's exactly trying to answer this vaccine will or not generate among them uh, not a nice response because uh, uh, natural COVID uh, in some small proportion in, uh, induces interferon gamma and, and certain um, mechanisms of autoimmune uh, mechanisms. So many people have been afraid that the vaccine may do the same and may precipitate uh, an autoimmune disease. So they are doing a vaccine trial uh, currently to answer that question in the U.S. Uh, I haven't seen any signal that uh, makes you worry about that. Okay, very nice. Well, you did touch up on a uh, very important topic. That was uh, another question that a lot of uh, people out there in the audience have been uh, have been wanting uh, me to ask you guys. And I'll ask Dr. Uh, Ernest, um, there's been a lot of anti-vaccination movements, uh, especially in North America and Europe. You know, Facebook had a uh, special interest group about people saying, you know, these vaccines are bad. We're having all these side effects and a lot of bad publicity. Are you experiencing that in India or can you share anything to that effect? Uh, not to a great extent at all. Uh, if you really look at the data, there's a recent article in the New England Journal on you know, vaccines. And the, the, one of the statements they made was between 2011 and 2020, over 23 million lives have been saved in low-income countries because of vaccines. I mean, the reality is that uh, people in low-income countries have been vaccinated for several diseases, and they're aware that they save lives. The, the bigger challenge, I think, is people think that once they get the vaccine, that they're superhuman, and they forget the hand-washing and the masking and the physical distancing. So that's the challenge that I'm worried about. And the second big challenge is the logistics of giving a second dose. Uh, so, so the loss to follow up is, I think, one of the bigger challenges in terms of getting vaccinated. However, there are fringe groups. There are people who are against vaccination, perhaps saying, you know, we already got COVID, so we don't need it. Or somebody, you know, had a side effect. If you look at it, there's comorbid diseases where people are going to die every day, heart attacks, strokes, et cetera, because they were never worked up. So my theory is that when you have an adverse so-called event, it was a natural event where somebody just had unrecognized underlying non-communicable disease, and that happened, even, even in an extreme situation. But otherwise, most of the side effects have been very minor. In fact, uh, just a few days ago, one of the Indian Medical Association societies, uh, you know, we get these informal research reports, which are not published yet, 
but they surveyed over 5,000 people who had received uh, some of these vaccines. And there were the usual simple side effects. It was a very deep dive down into what kind of side effects. And it was very simple stuff uh, like fevers and local pain, et cetera. So nothing very serious at all. So, so the, the vast majority of people really want to get on with their lives. I mean, one day of not working is a livelihood completely lost. So if there is a way out of the pandemic, which is a simple shot, people are willing to take it. And even if the efficacy is not super high, I think people are willing to take that risk because in underdeveloped countries or low-income, middle-income countries, you're dealing with challenges every day for normal things like food, shelter, water. So if you can actually get by and there is somebody offering you something which will give you a better chance at life, they're going to take it. So on a population basis, I think people are much more accepting. And it's amazing to look at the science that has come through in just a year. If you just look at where we have gone because of this you know, trigger, you know, everybody says a crisis is an opportunity in disguise. And that's what the world has done. I mean, they've actually put together the best minds. They've just you know, created an entire new logistics method to get this out there. So I am actually hopeful that COVID is going to do some good things for us, including the shout out for science itself and actually you know, encourage people to look at the healthcare uh, whole entire infrastructure to say, we need to do a better job. And the Indian government, in fact, has increased their budget for health including for, for vaccines, several billion dollars for vaccination for COVID. So that way, I'm seeing a lot of good positive signals that uh, people are respecting that, you know, science has a role to play and vaccination is important and good. All right, excellent. Well, thank you for that. How about in South Africa? Are you experiencing uh, any uh, social media outcalls against vaccinations? Yeah, so uh, South Africa has a quite a an active anti-vaccination lobby uh, uh, group. So, so let me step back and say that we've even had some demonstrations in South Africa about the need for masks, the need for social distancing, uh, the lockdown rules, which some of them during our major uh, peaks of the first and second wave have been quite stringent. Um, so there's already some reaction against that in some circles. Um, but in terms of vaccination, there are a lot of myths, and I think uh, Professor Lanata went through a number of them. There are myths that, um, so there are concerns and myths. The concerns are that the vaccines were developed too fast, they're too new, and we're not sure how safe they are. Um, there's a concern that uh, injecting mRNA or eliciting mRNA responses will alter your DNA. Um, they um, have dangerous side effects and may actually cause COVID. There's actually even with influenza, a reticence to have influenza for many years in, in South Africa because people say that the influenza vaccine and we have the inactivated vaccine gives you flu. Um, there's obviously concern about the belief in scientists and governments because obviously 
facts change and guidelines change as we evolving in this epidemic. I heard this story from Professor Lenata about this microchip that's going to be embedded, and we have that as well, as well as that 5G Wi-Fi may be a factor that causes um, uh, uh, COVID. And so there's a, a, a concern about that. The Probably the most reliable survey came out last week from the Human Sciences Research Council, University of Johannesburg, and, and other institutions. And it says that about 67% of the uh, individuals surveyed said they definitely or probably would take the vaccine, which means that about a third of the population are at best vaccine hesitant, um, but you know some of them would definitely not. Uh, there are a number of reasons for it. Uh, people are concerned about the vaccine efficacy, trusting the safety because this has all been at warp speed, as they say. It's too new. Uh, let other people get the vaccine and then we'll see. So, yes, there are issues. I mean, the one concern initially has been herd immunity, as they call it, but probably more correctly called herd protection, how much of the population do we need to vaccinate? And the initial aim was to vaccinate enough people in South Africa to create ultimately herd protection. But I think when we look at the variant, we look at the vaccine efficacies and so on, it probably is more realistic not to go for herd protection overall, given that we've got about 60 million people in, in terms of population, but probably to target the high-risk group, starting with the frontline workers, the elderly, the comorbid conditions. So I think we probably shifted the goal from trying to create herd protection to trying to uh, vaccinate those who are at greatest risk. All right, very nice. Um, as we get close to the end of the hour, um, Another uh, relevant question that seems to be popular out there would be, uh, uh, in your experiences from other vaccines, how is this different? And are you guys able to build on these experiences uh, to roll this out? Let me, uh, let me give Dr. Aronet uh, the chance to answer that question. Sure, so I think uh, because uh, India especially has had experience with vaccines, they also have a good surveillance system in place to figure out who's getting side effects. So from that standpoint, there, there's a reasonable uh, kind of a, a playbook to follow on, especially for the COVID vaccination. Uh, the other part of it is in terms of uh, the, the next steps, I think, are going to be to figure out how can we make sure that we deliver the same vaccine to the person who has, you know, because there's two vaccines that are going to be available very shortly in India, and we have to make sure that people get the right one. Uh, although there is some data coming out that, you know, maybe we can delay the second dose in terms of uh, generating a better immune response. So, so there is a lot of new information coming out. You know, that is going to create questions in people's minds. And we know what compliance with medicines are. I mean, people don't take their tablets every day. And so if you forget to remind them about the vaccination requirements, uh, there's no you know, way for them to get to it, or if their slot is lost because they didn't show up. I mean, those are the practical challenges when you're de dealing with things at scale. 
But my hope is that in a few months, we're going to have a situation of choice. We're going to have a buffet of vaccines, and there's going to be many that are approved, and we're going to have the opportunity to pick and choose what we want, and that's the hope. And I'm also hoping that COVID just goes away the same way it showed up. So, Dr. Lanara, your thoughts? I mean, I was curious about uh, what your thoughts are in terms of, uh, you know, because I read somewhere there's like another, what, 1.5 million viruses out of the wild, which could potentially become a pandemic. What are your thoughts on that scary thing? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we know already there's around 10 um, beta coronavirus similar to SARS in, in bats in, the, in China with high potential to become a pandemic. So we are going to see wow. this again and again, I am afraid to say so. But um, time is running. So I, I would like to say something. I just look into this. There has been already 152 million people vaccinated in the world today. 152 million in 75 countries. So things are moving, no? I mean, um, not just the US or uh, UK or Europe or, you know, things are moving. So I think we are going to be seeing a lot in the, in the vaccine movement and, and I think in the benefit of that vaccine, like, like in Israel, which I think has been the best country demonstrating amazing effectiveness of the vaccine. The second is that vaccines are not good if you have it in your shelf. You need to use it. And, you need, and, and Dr. Feldman has just mentioned, you need to reach a certain level of immunity in order to control your pandemic. So I'm, I, I think, for instance, I, I consider that in France, there has been, let's say, 2,000 children dying with measles because parents said the measles vaccine is bad for your health. I don't think that's right. I think there's some states like California that says, listen, guys, you need to be vaccinated regardless of your, your opinion. So because if we have packets of people unvaccinated, you're not going to control this disease. The, second, the third thing is that I'm predicting we need boosters, unfortunately, because the virus is mutating and is escaping immunity. As uh, Professor Feldman just said about this vaccine in, in the, U in the uh, South Africa scenario with the AstraZeneca. Um, so vaccines are, are going to be changing, adapting to the new strains. And we will need a booster every year, particularly the elderly population, which is the most at risk. I mean, the youth um, may not be as affected as the adults for, for having the virus still moving on. And I feel that that's going to happen. And um, the acceptance in Peru was very low because of all these rumors until we got the second wave. And now people are dying for a vaccine, you see? so the coming back of these new strains that no matter what immunity you build before, the new strains are again circulating. Look at Manaus. Uh, they say that 70% of the population was exposed and now they are completely loaded and dying with, with the new strain. So uh, I think the, the strains are, are adapting, escaping immunity. And the only way to cope with it is generating next generation of vaccines like we do with flu and every year you, you need your shot. That, 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 that's my scenario. All right, very nice. Well, thank you for that. As we, uh, as we come to the end, I look back and it's hard to believe that it's been almost a year since uh, this first uh, rolled out. Um, 
like I said, I'm from Southern California, and there's actually an Air Force base across the, uh, the hospital from where I practice. And it was uh, about a year ago on January 31st, where a plane coming out of China landed on this uh, uh, U.S. Air Force base. And we thought that, uh, you know, these people are infected. We're going to keep them in quarantine and everything's going to be fine. Uh, we didn't have the fancy words like uh, COVID-19 back then. We called it that 2019-NCOV virus. And uh, we thought it was something that was going to be uh, limited. And uh, lo and behold, it turned into one of the world's greatest pandemics. And um, also amazing is that in less than a year, we now have a vaccine and several vaccines for that matter. And uh, now we're having a discussion on how to roll it out. And uh, it's very nice to hear that, uh, like Dr. Lenata said, there's 150 million people uh, to date as of today on February 11th that have already received this vaccine. So that's great news. I think we only have a couple more minutes. I'll, I'll open it up to anybody who wants uh, to add anything more. Dr. Feldman, you look like you want to say something. And thank you again for joining us. Uh, for those of you who might not realize, it's actually 11 o'clock at night in South Africa. So um, we have a whole spectrum of time zones here. Yeah, so it's actually closer now to midnight in <laughs> South Africa. Um, but yes, I think it, it seems that the only way we're going to get around the current problem, we've just come out of our second wave. And our second wave was far worse than mm -hmm. our first wave. And they are predicting that we're going to go through to the third wave. I think there's no question that these waves have convinced people in the country that vaccination is their, you know, besides the uh, preventative things, is the only way we are going to get beyond this um, from what we do. Uh, there's a lot of discussion at the moment. We didn't get there. But the question of compulsory vaccination of people, and I think that's a very, very important ethical issue that we need to grapple with. And it's a particular interest of mine, the ethics of compulsory vaccination. But clearly vaccination is the way forward, whether it's one-off or, as Professor Lenata says, yearly, which I think I agree with him, uh, recurrent boosters and so on, and hopefully uh, with the collaboration of the private and public sector and the pharmaceutical companies, as well as scientists, hopefully we'll get beyond this because it's the worst thing I think most of us as medical practitioners have ever witnessed, um, uh, despite all the challenges we've had uh, over many, many years. Absolutely. All right, very nice. And uh, and I know uh, Dr. Heroneth is an active member of CHEST, and uh, I'd like to invite all the other listeners who uh, were able to partake in today's webinar to, uh, to consider looking into the disaster and global network. Again, uh, Jim Guiling is the president of that uh, steering committee, and we do a lot of good work. Um, I'll leave it up uh, to you to have the last word, Dr. Heroneth. Uh, sure, thank you. Uh, I, in fact, was a part of the disaster uh, steering committee a few years ago, and I chaired it too, and uh, we didn't do stuff like what you're doing. Us. It's pretty cool. Uh, and in terms of, you know, talking about chess, 
uh, it's an amazing organization in terms of really reaching out globally. So I'm part of the Council of Global Governors, and we've been touching on topics which actually matter to people in, in, everywhere in the world. So and from that standpoint, I think uh, it's amazing that you put together this webinar, and uh, thank you, Dr. Gapian and uh, Dr. Ryan Mavis, I think, for kind of coming up with this whole uh, setup. Uh, and it's been amazing to partner with uh, people in the summer zone of South, the Southern Hemisphere, South Africa and Peru. And uh, hopefully someday we can travel and, you know, and get vaccinated and you know, get to see these wonderful places. Uh, so, so overall, I think I'm actually an optimist and I'm thinking that the vaccine is our next step to get to the, you know, wherever we're going next. Uh, I do know there are challenges. There will be other pandemics. There will be variants. But I'm a believer in human ingenuity. I really feel that if people can get together and put their minds together, we can transform a lot of things. Uh, if we can actually eliminate COVID in a year, think about what we could do to tuberculosis and malaria. And I mean, this is only the beginning. And I think uh, using nanotechnology and you know, there's a lot of things that technology is good for. There will always be naysayers, but I think the number of people who recognize that partnership and using, you know, scientific rationale has a role to play. And I think uh, all of us are part of that uh, real optimistic movement. Thank you for the opportunity again, uh, uh, Gapian. All right. Well, thank you very much. And uh, this was a very, uh, very informative and awesome webinar. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very thank much. You, you. Nice meeting all of you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Nice meeting you guys.